0: And I look out and how fitting of an illustration it is and how fitting it is to be blunt on a chapter like this as we come off of a week where there wasn't an empty seat in the house to a week where there's plenty. And all I can help to think is to be, and I know some are traveling and all that whatnot, so don't get your panties in the water and all that good stuff. But, and he hit it on us, right? Like, but, but, but I, I look and I, and I think about this. Here, here's what it is. Some of us are sold out from some Sundays, but we're not sold out for every Sunday. And that's just one day of the week. Scripture tells us we shouldn't be sold out for just a Sunday. We ought to be sold out for all the days of the week. Right? So when we look at this, we're, we're we're really, in some instances, a lot of us, and I know some of us maybe not since we're in here again this week, but but there's a lot of people that are like Jehus. like They're they're sold out for certain things, but they're not sold out for all the things. And that's what's going to get him in a little bit of trouble at the end, right? So so here, here's where I originally wanted to start before the Lord laid that on my heart as I looked out at us. <laughs> now that you've... You got your toe stomped, and you're, you're the one that's here, so I don't know why you got your toe stomped. That's even worse, right? You got stomped stomp on somebody else's toe. That's why I did it, right? You ever wonder, like, what's God doing? Like, when you read, I mean, let's be honest. When we read some of this stuff, especially in the Old Testament, we we go through this stuff. You ever wonder, like, what in the world is God doing? Or maybe you wonder, like, what in the world is God not doing? Because what we're seeing fulfilled in chapters today started back in 1 Kings. So, like, this is something some of us probably have been waiting on for, like, months. You know, we were back in first Kings chapter 21 and we were like, why did God not wipe those sapsuckers off the planet? Then. I don't know, but there's verses like this and I want to read, read what Peter says in the New Testament. Then I want to go back to to something from from a few weeks ago before we pause for some of the feasts. And Peter says, chapter three, second Peter. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any would perish but that we would reach repentance. Sometimes I look and I wonder like, why didn't God get him then? You know what I'm saying? Like, and the reality is this, like God, God, one, he knows it all, so that kind of gives him a, a one-upper on me, but, but yeah, just one of many, right? But but you, you got to look at it, you got to understand like God, God is furious at the moment something goes wrong, and the moment we do something wrong, but, but he's also so patient. Because he loves us so much. And he's got that grace and that mercy that he wants to to pour out. But he's also of God of justice when we wonder, maybe you're wondering the other end of it. Like, what's God not doing? Why hadn't he done anything? Because Peter goes on to say, see, we always quote nine. A lot of us don't ever quote ten. Peter goes on to say in verse ten, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So Peter's saying, don't mistake God's God's, God's slowness for, for him being weak. He's just being merciful and he desires for people to have opportunity." And who knows how much opportunity from 1 Kings chapter 21 all the way through to we get to 2 Kings chapter 9 today. How many opportunity moments did these guys have to get back right? But there's a verse 10 that says, but God will come. And God will do what he said he's going to do. And God is going to take care of business. You know, so so it's not, it's not like a, even the whole idea, like, well, why didn't they get their punishment? Why didn't all those guys get their punishment here on earth? Because eternity is a lot longer. Like, God... We look at sometimes like God's letting them off in reality man maybe God's punishing them worse you know when we think about this thing so I, I say that because here's how we ended a few weeks back in 2nd Kings chapter 8 18 and 19 here's a phrase that's been repeated for weeks and weeks and weeks in kings and kings and I think even a little bit was hinted at in in, in in other books but it says he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel as a house Ahab had done he, you know he's talking about Judah's kingdom and 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 Jared, uh your Jer- Jer- leading and he says that they're walking in the in the ways of the of the house of ahab a house they weren't even supposed to why because ahab's daughter was his wife and she manipulated him got him and they did what was evil in the lord's sight and then verse 19 for the sake of his servant david the lord was unwilling to destroy them because he gave a promise to give a lamp to david and his sons forever like god god is being patient because he's he's got this relationship that he had with david and he's wanting it to to be rekindled and and he's wanting something good to to come about from it. But then there's chapters like Peter's got verse 10. There's chapters like verse nine where we get the anointed Avenger. You know, I think of him as kind of like, like I should be everybody's favorite superhero now, right? Jehu, the anointed Avenger, right? And he's got problems too. So I'm not saying he's, he's perfect like anything else, but this anointed Avenger, he, he comes in and he gets some stuff done, right? I mean, he got some rough stuff done. Some of y'all started looking into chapter 10 when you heard we were going to go into 10 and you're like, man, I thought nine was bad, but 10. Like he takes it takes it up a whole nother, a whole nother level. So as we jump into this thing, or really before we jump into this thing, if we consider, you know, Jehu's bloody purge and, and all this, some of us are probably wondering, like why bother with a story like this? Like why after a couple of weeks off and going through feast, didn't you just jump ahead and, and skip a couple of chapters and, and get into some good stuff? Do you not want the, the church to grow and all this. And, and and here's just some reasons why we don't skip stuff. Just just so we're honest and clear on on where we're at as, as a church. Right. We study the scriptures, even the hard passages, because we believe that God builds his church through his word and not some persuasive talking. That doesn't need me to put on a good show. He doesn't need you to put on a good show. God builds his church through his word, not through gimmicks, not through catchphrases, not through any of that stuff. All right. And there's a big difference in building a church and building a crowd. And, and if we preach the word and that builds a crowd, well, great. We can be happy about it. But if we're preaching the word and it doesn't build a crowd, we're going to be just as happy about it. Because we're preaching God's word and God's word, you know, is what we're told to do. Right. So, so our goal is not flashy, but faithful to scripture so, so there's one reason why we don't skip over chapters where we get really awkward moments and don't like reading about people's heads rolling and a lady being stomped by horses and her blood splattering all over walls and all that stuff in case you missed you know, where, where we're going with this, right? Here's another thing you guys got to understand as, as we jump into this thing, or I want us to understand. First, there's a, a big distinguish between Israel and other nations. When, when we look at stuff like this, because it's easy to look at stuff like this, and some of us to like think, oh, we're going to load up our guns, we're going to become Jehus, we're going to be anointed avengers, and we're going to take care of business. That, that's not your calling. That's not your calling. There's a big difference in Israel and other nations. This comes upon Israel because what? Israel is special. They've got a special relationship, a special, unique calling by God. Why? Because what's going to come out of Israel? What? The Messiah. You, you know why he says, let's, let's kick out, you know, people and drive out people from the land and enemies of the land that don't worship and, 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 and pervert the word of God and all this stuff. Why? Because I want to preserve God's people, because my goal, talking about the Father speaking, is to bring out my son, the Messiah, from this nation. So, so they're distinct than us. We are not like Israel in all those kind of ways, right? We're, we're, we're America, all right? We're not driving people out because they're evil and they don't believe in the Lord. We're going to love on them because that's what Scripture tells us to do, right? We're not starting a Jehu ministry of Brookhaven Fellowship. We're not going to go wipe out anybody, right? We're, we're going to do what God has called us to do for our calling and our time and, and where we are at, all right? So, so as, as we think about this, I, I just want to make sure we get this. All right. Sin has infested this nation. God's going to send someone to exterminate the sin, the anointed avenger is going to take it on. Second thing we got to make sure we understand. Few men have actually been instruments of God for his judgment. I say that because if you ever watch like some of these crazy yahoos on TV, and all, they will swear to you that the Lord told them to do something. And I will swear to you the Lord did not tell them to do some of the stuff they do. All right. Like there, there's been actual few people, Moses, Joshua, Elijah and Jehu who are just four that I can really even think of for sure, that bring this kind of bloody purge and be an instrument of God to to, to bring about judgment. People today who are doing that, call them a fruitcake. All right? I'm just like, I don't want any of you leaving here thinking like, oh, the Lord said, no, he didn't tell you that. He told Jehu that. All right? And then the third thing, we got to distinguish between, when you're reading these chapters, you got to distinguish between the agent's assignment and the actual execution of the assignment. This guy does some awesome stuff. It gets us hyped up. It should get us hyped up. But chapter 10 is going to remind us real quick that he was not perfect. He had some mistakes and he messed some stuff up and he let a little bit of his selfish desire and everything else get involved. So he's not wholly devoted to Yahweh. Yet God does use him as broken as he is. So you can be a broken vessel that God's going to use to to do what God wants to do. All right. Just just so we got a a general consumption of as we look at these chapters. All right. Let's jump into it. Verse one. And I'm just going to just paint the scene real quick on the the first few verses so we can look at it. Right. Verse one, he tells this guy, "I want you to take a flask of oil, and I want you to go." And you picture he goes to this table with all these guys sitting around, and he says, "I got, I got a message for you." And they're all leaders, right? They're all people of authority, so of course they ask, "Who?" And he looks at him and says, "You," right? Like you're the guy. He says, "I want you to make him rise among his associates. So he's going to call him amongst his his own people, his peers, and I want you to take him to the inner room." Sometime to get a special anointing, you got to get away from some of the mess you're around. All right? Sometime to get that special anointing, if we want God to anoint us, we got to get away from some of the messes we put ourselves in. And that's what he tells him. He goes, I want you to call him. I don't, I don't want you to, you know, sugarcoat it when you're standing there in front of him. Point right at him and tell him, it is you. But you're going to come over here and we're going to talk privately. And what, what is the anointing of oil symbolic of? Think about it. Especially for us. The anointing of the Holy Spirit. Some of you want to know why you can't get anointed and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you why. Because you ain't left the room that you're supposed to leave. You got too much junk in the closet you hanging out in. And you hadn't gone to an inner room to get away from the mess. And be with God's man to get anointed the right way. Makes sense, right? So he tells me, "Because I want you to take him to an inner room. Pull him away. When you pull him away, I want you to dump oil on his head. This is one of the first chapters I ever studied when it comes to, to the anointing of oil. And I'll just tell you a little, little quick story. I had a guy years ago. He's like, man, I want to do it just like they do in Scripture. I want to be anointed with oil just like they did. And I'm for it. I think that's awesome. That's that's, that's some awesomeness, right? So y'all, y'all understand like a ram's horn holds about six quarts of oil. Y'all catching where it's going, right? Some of you don't know what a quart is because we're Americans and we don't follow the metric system, right? That's like a gallon and a half, I think, or pretty close, right? So that's a lot. That's a lot. I know that's not the metric. system my way of feeling. In case you're like, man, Pastor really is a dummy. No. I'm dumb on some things, but not all things, right? So, so, so that's a gallon and a half of oil. Then it tells him to dump on this dude's head. So I was a smart aleck when this fellow told me he wanted to do it the way they do it in Scripture. And I brought a gallon <laughs> of oil. I didn't dump it on his head, but I say, if you want to do it, let I do in scripture. This is where we go, right? Like, we just need to see what's going on. So I want you to pour this oil on his head as you're doing it. I want you to anoint him king over Israel. Well, that's a problem, because there's a king of Israel right now that's alive. Now you can imagine if you're standing there hearing this message from this guy, but you know there's a king alive that is that is perfectly fine and, and rolling on and got a big army and all that kind of stuff going. Now, also on the outside, we know God has anointed many of his men before they became king, right? David, Samuel, I think there's at least one or two others that were anointed before their, their actual thing, right? So then it says this. And this is just kind of one that made me want to laugh a little bit. Then he says, verse 4, then I want you to open the door and I want you to flee and don't delay. Now, that's the kind of stuff I want to get to do. Like, I don't know why God calls me to preach y'all for 45 minutes. How cool would it be if I could just come in for five and sprint out the door? Get in the truck kids. we're going to the beach. It's time to roll. I did my job. We're out. Right? That's what he gets to do. It says, I want you to tell, I want you to go in, point to him in his little circle, tell him you go to the inner room, tell him what's going to happen, dump a gallon and a half of oil on his head, and then run out the door. Wow. Huh? Yeah. Why's he got to run out the door? Well, there's a couple things. Obviously, the king is alive, so. He just now called somebody else king while the king is alive. If word gets out, what's going to happen? He gone. Right? Everybody, by the way, they're going to respond here in a minute, which we'll get to, thinks these prophets are crazy anyway. Right? I mean, even when he comes out of the room, we're going to say, oh, you know, those crazy people. How many times you've been called a crazy person for the Lord? If you can't say any, you ought to say out. That's a new way of wording it, right? Like, if people ain't thought you a crazy person for the Lord, that all hurts feelings a little bit, right? Like, they ought to think there's something wrong with you and something, something weird, you know, going on inside of you, right? The prophets, they're, they're not fully received by Jehu and his men. But what did Paul tell us as prophets of the Lord? Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. The things you and I got to say seem crazy to those who don't understand it, and it should. I don't know why we get all bent out of shape and our feelings hurt when lost people don't understand what we're trying to say. Scripture tells you, of course they're not going to understand it. You're preaching for the Lord. Right? You're, you're part of His. You've got His stuff. Right? So, so some of that stuff should sound crazy to them. You know, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul talking to his, his own disciples, and he tells them, he goes, you know, you'd like to get even, but, but you can't. You'd like to, like to do it this way, but, but you shouldn't. He goes, matter of fact, they're going to look at you and just think you're weird all the way around because of the way you respond to the criticism and, and, and the way they treat you. If you ain't weirded somebody out by the way you act for Jesus, you're missing it. You know what I'm saying? Like you're missing it, man. Like that's the whole thing of, of being holy and being set apart and being, being called away from, from corrupt stuff, right? These are the things, and these are the prophets of Jesus had the same, same problem, right? So remember this. God's truth matters more than your comfort. Can you imagine him standing before Elisha? And say, I man, I, I think you ought to do this. I mean, what if he had really studied? You know, this is probably one of his students, by the way. Keep that in mind. What if he'd really studied enough and be like, well, when I studied, 1 Kings chapter 21 told Elijah to do this. And then Elijah didn't do it. So he just set the tone for Elijah to do it. And now you're just telling me to do it. Like, y'all just passing the buck on down the line and I'm not going to do it. Bro, I mean, wouldn't that have been a realistic thing like he could have been? He could have come out with any excuse, any doubt, any reason not to do it. And what do you and I do sometimes? Any excuse, any doubt not to do what God's called us to do. Get out of your comfort zone, man. Right? I don't care about persecution, likes, dislikes, all that kind of stuff. We should never allow our sin to be a stumbling block to others. But just as strong, we should never allow not embracing God's truth to be a stumbling block at the same time. Right? There's both that goes in this thing. So he says this. Go back to the verse. Open the door and flee. Here's another lesson for that. God doesn't call you to stay in danger. You understand that? Like, I think we need to pause just for a moment, make sure we, we grab that. Now, he may call you to get in dangerous situations. But I've never read a verse where God tells it, well, you just sit there while the house burns down. No, that's that's not that's not what it says. It says if there's a thing of danger, like you do what you're supposed to do and then you get out. Sometimes I think we use it as an excuse because we think, oh, if we just get in more dangerous situation, we'll be more holy and we'll be more appointed. We'll be more called on. And, and what, no, that's not what it says. It says you do your job and you get out. We understand that? God's not calling you to sit there and suffer longer than he's told you to sit there and suffer. When your job is done, you, you get out and you leave, right? So, so go back to verse, or go up to verse 11. Down to verse 11, whichever way your Bible's got it, right? They ask you, you say, why did this madman, there we go again with that, that, that inclination. Why this crazy dude come to you? What's his response? Oh, you know that guy and all his babble. People are so nosy about what goes on behind closed doors, aren't they? You ever notice that? You know something that nobody else knows and they will pick your brain trying to figure out what it is you know that they don't know. Right? Some of y'all post something stupid on Facebook or Instagram or tweeting or whatever the heck else is out there. And if somebody didn't know the whole story, they calling everybody or texting everybody. Hey, what did they mean by dot, dot, dot? Do you know something I don't know? What exactly is going on? Right? Like, what happened? I need the details. Why? Cause you nosy. That's why. If it was for you, they would have called you to the inner room. But it wasn't for you. It was for Jehu. Right? Then, but here's the problem. Here's the problem. He, he comes out and what does he respond with? Ah, oh, you know that crazy dude. He doesn't even want to admit what's really going on, right? So it's bad enough they're not giving the prophet the respect. He's not even really wanting to give the respect. Now, it could be out of fear. It could be out of confusion. It could be out of what the heck just happened. It could be because he had so much oil going down his eyelids and his beard that he couldn't see. I don't know. But what I do know is he runs out and he doesn't want to exactly tell him what's going on. So here's here's one of the one of the lessons right here. Even when you have the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it's not going to be automatically received very well. I just think that's an easy but good lesson for us to grab a hold of. Like sometimes I think, oh, God called me to do it. It's going to be easy. That's not what God said. You know what I'm saying? Like, just because you got the power, just because you got the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't automatically mean it's going to be an easy thing. I mean, this guy had to flee in and flee out. This other guy has to come out with fear and, and, and respond. I don't know. I don't know what happened. Now, now, here's what the real message was, which I think is great, but that's just because I'm corrupted and evil on the inside. Right? Here, here's what he tells you. He says, you're going to destroy the family of Ahab and Jezebel. Listen, yeah, you're going to kill them all. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he's getting dropped off on the island. He is the Navy SEAL Team Six, all by himself, and he is going to take care of business, and they're going to pick him up three days later, and nobody's going to know what happened until it's written about years later, right? Look at what it describes in verse 8 the house of Ahab. For the whole house of Ahab. I wonder how he extended that word whole when he said it, right? Shall perish. I'm going to cut off Ahab every male of Israel, both bond and free. And in case there is any question for those of y'all that listen to the the child version of the of the reading, that thing actually says, for those that stand to pee on the wall. So if you got that translation and you're reading it right now, you're like, hold on, Pastor, I got some different wording in my verse, and I need to know what it means. That's what it means. Right? It means a dude who stands to pee on the wall. You, you, you got what I'm going, right? That's where scripture takes it. He's saying, Every male is gonna be taken out. The destruction of Jezebel described. Verse 10. The dogs are gonna eat Jezebel in the vicinity of Jezreel. And there shall be none of her left to bury. Wow. Right? Do y'all know any like Ahabs or Jezebels? Somebody knows one? An Ahab or a Jezebel? Oh, you know, like a spiritual one. You keep that to yourself. We're not spreading rumors in the church. Right? I know a couple. No. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I, you, you, don't, you don't hear about those names repeated. Why? Because who wants to name the kids after this, right? Now you can name dog food after Jezebel. Matter of fact, y'all should patent that straight up. You think if you went to Bilo and saw a bag of Jezebel on the show, you would buy it, wouldn't you? You'd buy it because you thought you was holy buying something spiritual sounding. And then you'd go home and read and you'd be like, oh, she really was dog food. So this makes perfect sense now, right? I'm taking it there. Here's seriously the most important thing, though. Most important thing, because I don't want us thinking like, Jay, who is this awesome, he was an awesome guy. He was called by God, no doubt about it. But here's what we need to understand. Go back to verse 7, because I skipped it, so I apologize. Verse 7 says this. You were to strike down the house of your master Ahab, so that I, who's the I? God. May avenge the blood shed by the hand of Jezebel, the blood of my servants, the prophets, and all the servants of the Lord. Who's doing this? God. And why is he doing it? Revenge. Call it like it is. Some of y'all was afraid to say that word. I can see it right now. Y'all was thinking, y'all like, that sounds kind of evil. Yes. Revenge, justification, payback, however you want to word it, right? Remember what happened? Do you remember the story? I know it's been really, really long time ago. Ahab, what? He wanted that vineyard. He looked out there and he goes, man, that's a good looking vineyard. So he went down there and made an offer. What did the dude say? No, man, this is my daddy's land. I can't sell it to you. I love it. I'm mom connected to it. So he goes back home and he whines to his evil little Jezebel like Tamara knows, and and what does she do? Kills him. And then she comes back and says, "Oh baby, I got you a gift because we've been married eleven years too, and you need a present, right? So here's the vineyard. Here's the vineyard you really, really wanted, right? And and it seems so bad. Because you're like, man, there was a good guy that gets murdered for no reason, gets his stuff taken, and nothing happens to him. Nothing happens to him." And then we get to this chapter, right? Where we understand like God is orchestrating this. I don't ever want you to read this chapter to be like this could not be. This is God orchestrating this. All right, we are not going to be somebody that changes what the word says because we don't like how it makes us feel on the inside. God is doing this. All right, so verse eleven, they 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 do all this. Jehu denies what happens. So he comes out. You Go back to verse eleven. So make sure we're all caught up. Jehu comes out to his master servants asking what this crazy dude you And he said to them, you know the sort of thing they ran about. You know what them crazy Christians be going on and on about how they be talking about Jesus and, and all that crazy stuff, right? How come when we get a special anointing, we don't want to brag about it? How come when we have an intimate moment with the Lord, we want to hide it? We almost sometimes get more ashamed of being on fire for the Lord than we were ashamed about the sin that had to get cleansed of. Right. We'll get fired up, ready to roll. Come Monday morning at work. What happens? You as quiet as a little (laughs) church mouse. Thank you. I didn't know where I was going to go with it. Right. Like you you, clean it up. I mean, guys, we just need to we just need to be honest and stuff like when we get an anointing from the Lord. We should we should not be quiet about it. We should not be ashamed about it. It's almost like we deny our anointing or we deny our calling when we're quiet about it. Right. Now, what I love, though, is at least God surrounded him with people. Look at verse 12. But they were like, man, you lying. Tell us what he really said. So he confesses. And you can imagine, like, I understand most likely he's, he's not confessing because of fear. I, I understand that. OK, I don't think he's just ashamed. I, I think he's literally afraid. Well, he's about to walk out there to a group of leaders of the army, generals and all right, like top notch dudes. And he's going to tell them that dude said I'm king now. Right. And he ain't going to be the shortest kingdom ever because he's going to die. That's what he's thinking. But when he finally confesses it, thank God for friends that push you to confess what you need to confess. Right. When he finally confesses it, look at what they do. They start blowing trumpets. They take off their coats. They strip off their clothes and they lay them down for him to walk on. These guys are sold out and ready. Or they're just sick of that king they've been under. Right. So Jehu jumps on his horse. He heads toward Jezreel. Uh, the people are following him behind him. And here's what we need to understand. Here's what matters most in this story. God's truth. God's truth. God's word takes precedence over politics. It takes precedence over power. It takes precedence over war and all this stuff. And you get this scene where you got Jehu riding up. And this king is worried. So he sends out a servant. You got to picture this, man. This is just a beautiful picture to me. Right? The king sends his servant. They meet Jehu. And here's what they say. You come in peace. This cat got blood painted on his cheeks, I promise you. All right. He got an army behind him. He is ready to clean house. It's actually going to say clean house in one of the verses, right? So he is ready to clean house. You you ever seen somebody who's got that kind of rage? I mean, being serious, anybody. Maybe not the killing rage because y'all don't want to confess to murder. I understand. But like you you ever been like somebody who just wanted to straight up box you in the nose or box somebody behind you in the nose or y'all ain't never been around people like that. Y'all need to get out more. God has not called you to stay in the church and just be surrounded by lovey-dovey people. OK, you get out into the world, you see some of the evil there, so you can relate with these illustrations. All right. So so, so some people get mad like that. When you look in the eyes of somebody who's that mad, you don't have to ask. I, I, I see what it is. My bad. Y'all didn't want to confess to that part. You ever looked at your spouse? I will get if you will not confess you've been around it. I will get you there. Right. You ever looked at your spouse and they gave you the look of you can. How you going to clean that one up? This morning? You can't have those thoughts on a Sunday. Right? <laughs> this is a holy day. <laughs> but your spouse looks at you and you don't have to ask, is you mad, baby? Like, you know, day man. Right? Same thing sometimes when it's a good thing. Like, you know, when it's a good thing. Right? Like, you know that look. I think he knew this look. I think he knew, but he had to follow the king. Right? And the king said, I want you to go find this kind of peace." J.U. looks at him and says, you don't even know what peace is. Like, you got no idea. Get behind me. That's what he tells him. It was dude do. He got behind him. Cause when a dude with that much rage in their face tells you to get behind him, you get behind him, right? So, so the watchman's sitting out there and he's with the king goes, I, I don't even see our man no more. Where did he go? And he says what? Send another one. So the dude rides on out there. Meets him, says the same thing, right? Do you do you come do you come in peace? What does he tell him? You don't even know what peace is. Get behind me. What does he do? Get behind him. <laughs> right? So so this goes on. And, and, and here's what happens. Look at the king. He finally Verse twenty one. The king finally says, Alright, I'm gonna ride out there. So uh Jordan turned around and uh and fled. Nope, hold on, that's twenty three. I spilled the beans, my bad. Twenty one. Get the chariot ready, he shouted. And they got it ready. King Joram of Israel and the king Hezekiah of Judah set out, each in their own chariot. I notice they both ride now, right? Because you don't want to ride to a fight without your boy. Right? So he gets his boy. they both in the chariot. they both riding. And we're going to meet Jehu. And, and guess what they just happened to meet at? I know that's like a coincidence, right? So one dude's riding this way. Another dude's riding this way. And they just happened to meet where? Oh, that that vineyard. I know greedy jerk stole and his wife killed the guy for, right? I know, that's probably just a big coin. The Bible's so full of coincidences. It's weird. All right, verse 22. When Joram saw Jay, who he asked, Do you come in peace? These guys are idiots. He answered, What peace can there be as long as there's so much prostitution and sorcery from your mama Jezebel? You want to pick a fight? <laughs> you call somebody's mama a prostitute, right? <laughs> This is scripture, man. You can't get no better, right? So he tells her goes, all that some translations I can say even better say all that whoring around your mama does. Yeah. Right? Now, before y'all get all thinking it was like that, she may have been like that, but what he's talking about is what? Spiritual adultery. She's the one who did what? She brought Baal worship straight up into the kingdom. Okay, and that's what he's most furious about, right? So, so, so he answered 23. This guy's not only a moron. I'm going to tell you right now, there, there are some people that can beat me, right? Probably a lot. You talk about my mama that way, You gonna? I'm going to get one hit on you. Like, you're going to know that you was there with me. You might stomp me in the ground afterwards, but I'm going to get that one in. Right? 24. Jehu, Oh, hold on, 23. Jerome turned around and he fled. Somebody talk about your mama like that and you just turn around and run? He must be from the north. You know what I'm saying? Like, southern people don't talk like that. Right? Why he's running? He's shouting. Shouting to who? His boy in the other chariot. It's treachery, Azariah. Let's go. Get out of here. Let's flee. He's running away. You got to picture this, man. He's running away in the anointed avenger. Alright, we're going to make a movie about this dude, right? The anointed avenger picks up his bow. I think he did it real slow, too. I really do. I swear I do. Right? Because you got to picture it. He's running. He got the bow. says that he drew it. Now, when you read it in the Hebrew, it actually meant that he drew it to the fullest extent it could be drawn. Right? So either he wants a lot of power or he needs a lot of distance. I don't care which one you believe. It's cool either way. Right? Dude is running away. He draws his bow. Boom! Right between the shoulder blades, come through the heart. Homeboy falls down in his chariot. He's done. But don't worry. He called his boy to help him. Right? Like, you know, when you got a boy there with you, your boy going to help you out. When King Uzziah saw what was happening, this is verse 27, in case you need to follow along. He fled on the road, too. If you're going to get in a fight, you better bring a boy who ain't going to run. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're going to bring backup, you need to bring a boy (laughs) who's going to stand up with you. This dude right here watches his boy get shot, clean through the heart, popped out the chest. That's what scripture says. And he turns around and leaves. Fleeing. Jehu. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, right? Jehu pursues him and says, we're going to shoot him too. Right? So they shot him. I love how just clear scripture is. We're going to shoot him too. So they shot him, right? And he dies there. That's a drastic difference from a dude who was scared when he came out of the inner room. And his friends asked him. What the crazy dude told him, right? I'm stopping right here because I want to make sure we understand the change that's taking place in Jehu. Well, he went into a room not knowing what was going to happen. He gets, he gets given a message. He gets anointed. But when he comes out of the room, he's so worried. He won't even tell his closest friends what just happened at first. Right? But here he is calling out kings, shooting them with arrows. Telling soldiers, get behind me unless you want me to cut your head off, too. Like you understand, like he has drastically changed. It takes an inner court experience to change you. This dude had that inner court experience and he's changed because of it. Folks, you can tip to all the tulips, whatever, be satisfied with just a little bit of anointing. Or you can get a whole gallon and a half of oil dumped on top of your head and be ready to do business for the Lord. Right. That's the change that takes place in this dude right here, man. It's awesome. But also, I don't, want, I, don't want, I don't want to change the message either because here it is. You're not always anointed for a pretty situation. You know, think about it. He could have been anointed to go preach. Could have been anointed to, to, to do something else. Yeah, yeah if, you, if you take notes, I want a star or a dot right here, okay? Star or dot. History says that it was Jonah that was the prophet that took him into the room. It does line up time-wise, but I'm telling you to put a dot because it's not proven. Check it out for yourselves. Pretty cool, right? So, but you notice the change. Changes that take place along an anointing. Our anointing is going to be used to to correct wrongs, to heal hearts, to repair the broken. God's anointing Jehu to deal with a crisis. Now, I keep hearing people always talk about our country and our town and our nation and and, and our our lives being in a crisis. So what crisis is it that God's anointing you to deal with? Because I don't think he allows you to see a crisis if he's not going to anoint you to fix the crisis. Right? If so, maybe you just wanted a little, what would you call them, a wuss? How old are you? 62. 62. You want to be called a wuss by a 62-year-old woman? Almost 63. Almost 63. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got to be one sorry sapsucker for a 63-year-old lady to roll up and call you a wuss while you dressed in battle on, Right? Take your clothes off. You ain't worthy of wearing it. You know what I'm saying? Man. I'm going to have you stand on the back porch and you're going to tell them all when they walk out. Don't be a wuss this week. All right. <laughs> Go back to what changes him, though. Not, not only is it now that he's got the message and he's a thing. Say it. He, I, I spilled the beans just a little bit when I said it. but. Oh, I didn't think you was nowhere near. I thought you was like 23. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm going to get back to it. Right. So. A beautiful thing, though, guys. Here's the beautiful thing of what helps him get changed, man. His, his bold friends that want him to be totally honest with him. I mean, that, that's all it took. What did they tell him? I, we, man, we don't know what's bothering you. We don't know what it is, but we just want you to not be afraid and to be honest about it. It's, it's, it's a portion of what happens in, in, in our men's groups and our closest net friends. You, you, don't, you don't be ashamed of what you're feeling. You let it out. Because if you keep it in, you're never going to heal from it. Right. So he tells me, his friend says, I want you to let this out. He had men in his life who stimulated him to be honest, even when he was troubled. I love it. It's such a beautiful thing that's happening, man. If you're not surrounded by guys, that are going to encourage you to be honest and encourage you to get out of a troubled situation. You need to find new friends. That's as easy of a point as I can make it. Right. You need to find new friends. Right. What what have you heard that's left you troubled? What have you dealt with that's left you troubled? trouble? What have you experienced that's left you troubled? And what do you still need to deal with? Deal with it, but deal with it with the right people. Notice that. Got to deal with it with the right people, all right? So, so we got that whole setup. We got that change. Here's a, here, here's a verse I meant to go into before I got ahead and him just shooting arrows and killing people and Ramboing it up up in the anointed avenger. Da, 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 da. Verse 20. I need y'all to start doing that. Verse 20 says, again, the watchman reported he reached them. But it hadn't started back. Also, (laughs) the driving is like that at Jehu. (laughs) He drives like a madman. How crazy did he have to be driving? How crazy of a driver did he have to have been for somebody to look at the way he was driving and know that was him? Notice what he's saying, right? Like the watchman's looking. They send a dude out. Dude gets behind him. They send a dude out. Dude gets behind him. Verse 20, he's looking again. He said, I still can't see our guy. But this fool right here is driving it like he's stolen. You know, like, what did he see? Did he see the dust? Did he see the hooves like spinning? What is he doing to burnout? Was they, I don't know. Why y'all laughing? Like that could happen, man. He wasn't like on this Sunday stroll. Like y'all get on sometimes he was driving it, you know? And and as he's, he was driving a Mustang, right? Driving a Mustang. Thank God there was no Chevrolets, Right. He wouldn't have made it to the destination, but he's driving this Mustang, right? And he's got this cloud of dust going and he's going crazy, right? Right. Why was he so furious? Why was he driving so furious? Because he was a man on a mission. You ever seen somebody when they had a man on a mission? Here's the best way to tell when a man on a mission versus a man not on a mission. Right. Woman goes into the store. She goes for eggs. She goes for milk. She comes back with 17 grocery carts full, and she done been in the store for 22 hours. Man goes in the store, eggs, milk, and he's back home. Right? Because he's a man on a mission. Now, don't mislead it. He's not a man on a mission because he wants the milk and he wants the eggs. He's a man on a mission because he don't want to be in the store any longer than he has to be. (laughs) Right? That's if I'm going to the store. That's my mission. Right? This is a God-ordained mission, though, guys. Check this out. This this is beautiful, man. He's driving this crazy because what? God is just commanding you're going to cleanse the land from the evilness that's taken over it. What is your mission? What is your meaning? What is your purpose? Until you find it, I, I I don't even know how I thought this, and I hope you guys can catch the picture. Chris went fishing this weekend, and he was showing me some of the pictures and stuff. And so, if you've ever been fishing, like you've got this, this lure, fishing lure, you know, whatever, you go in deep sea, you got different, different stuff and all that kind of stuff. But, but that thing just like drags and floats there until it finds its purpose. When it finds its purpose, what happens? Oh, that video they had was a sailfish, That so it was awesome, man. That thing done better on it. That lure was flying, it was jumping out of the water, it was looking awesome, right? Like it was driven with a purpose. But if you're just a fishing lure without a purpose, you're just gonna sit there and drag through the water possibly sink to the bottom and drift through life. We need to get on purpose, right? We need to be hungry enough and looking good enough that people want to bite onto what we got. And when you find it, man, everything has so much more order, right? Everything's ready to go. But watch me. He sees from a distance, but he couldn't make out this, this exact thing. What's the lesson character preaches. He recognizes this guy's characteristic of his driving before he knows for sure who it is. Y'all get so hot, hot, caught up on word words and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to be honest. What we do and, and how we do it matters so much more than what we're saying. Right. And that's what they recognize right here. People are watching from a distance. That's what I got to love. He's from a distance and still recognizes the actions and the behavior of what's going on. Right. Seriously, it said Hebrew uh, translation could be like crazy. Right. But here's what you also got to say. He's not reckless. Some of y'all think you just called to go out there and run around like a chicken with your head chopped off and that you accomplished something. No, he's not reckless. Why? Because he got to his destination. If you're reckless, you're not going to make it to your destination. Okay? You're going to crash and stop a little early from your crazy driving, right? He's not reckless. He gets to his destination. He fulfills his purpose. God has not called us to be reckless or a loose cannon. Check out Galatians 5 and some of the fruits of the Spirit. None of them's reckless, none of them's chaos, none of them's craziness, right? He's got an eager spirit, he's intent on accomplishing his mission. And he's pushing forward with all his might. God has called us to a level of living that is God-driven, and we've got to be willing then to take godly risks. If we're not willing to take godly risks, we're never going to accomplish some of these great things, man. Right? And then ironically, where they meet up at this property of the vineyard, where it was, man. Verse twenty-two. You don't even know what peace is, right? This this is this is awesome, right? God takes worship so seriously. Then shouldn't we? If God is that serious about worship, that, that's, that's what started this, this whole thing, right? He's so mad about all this, this, this messed up uh, worship that's gotten there, which started with golden calves, and then, so you're worshiping the right God, but the wrong way, and, and now you're just worshiping a whole wrong God. And, and, and here's the fact, all of us are worshipers of something or something. Something or someone. Right? Maybe the best question you could ask morning is, is what am or who is my God? What am I worshiping? Personal success, money, Yahweh. What what is it? What is it really for me? And this narrative and the emphasis on the word peace, guys, this repeated nine times in this chapter. Nine times emphasis on the word peace. How do you get peace? I I got off on a tangent thinking about peace and, and I realized like true peace can only come from God. What he tells him in 922, he's like, man, with all this idolatrous practices going on in the, in the present, you guys don't even know what peace is because you're not in a right relationship with the Lord. Like you can't have real peace. You need, you need a peace that's deeper than the mere removal of external threats. You need a peace inside your heart, internal peace. And that's something maybe Jehu doesn't get by the way this thing ends, right? Paul says this in Romans chapter 5. We have peace with God through what? Our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way for peace. Jesus said, "My peace I give you." Uh, John chapter 14, verse 27. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. He's the only King that can bring the peace that we really need. So, so picking up with this this narrative, and again, go back to verse seven. He tells him, "Like I'm doing this for the blood of the servants of the Lord." There's a reason we're doing this. We talked about Jehu killing uh, Joram. We talked about him killing uh, Isaiah, verse 27. He shot both of those dudes. Verse 30 through 37, where we pick up. Then Jezebel. Now, I don't know what her intentions are, to be honest, in 30 3237. She's at the house. She, you know, hearsay done got bad. Gossip travels fast. So she, she's in a room. And, and while she's there, she starts putting on makeup, it says. Right? Like, what you going, what you getting pretty for? Like, maybe she's thinking like I can persuade him. Maybe she's thinking she wants to go out looking good. Like, maybe she thinks she can put enough makeup on to cover up her ugliness. I don't know. Right. But she's getting all dolled up and and he runs in and she makes this big mistake of calling him Zimri, which is like a slap in the mouth. Because Zimri did it for selfish ambitions. He's doing this thing because the Lord called him to do it. Right. So he gets mad. And here's what he says. Now, you got to understand, she's got all these servants that have been working for her for years. Right. They're eunuchs, by the way, so they don't care how much makeup she put on. You get what I'm saying? They don't care how pretty she is. If you don't get it, talk to me after church, I'll share it with you later, right? So 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 these eunuchs they, they got nothing good for her looks, right? So but they've been they've been treated probably not the best. So this guy busts in and he says, Hey, who's gonna throw her out the window? Says two or three of them. You know why it says two or three of them? I struggle with this. I could not figure out how they don't know the difference in two and three. My kids can count that high, right? I can count that high just by using fingers. I think this is what it is. I think two of them made it there, were shoving her out the window, and the third one was coming. Like he didn't, they didn't know for sure if he put the hand on her to get her out. So they said two or three, two or three of them was rushing on out to get her out. You know what I'm saying? Like that's how that's how eager they were to get rid of her. I think it could be true. <laughs> then it says the writer says that when she landed. <laughs> you got to wonder like, why? Why the blood splattered on the wall and the horses, they trampled all over her. Then I guess trying to be a good guy. Somebody says, hey, why don't you go bury her? Even though the scripture done told you she ain't getting buried. And they go down there. And what's this say? The only thing left is what? Her head and her hands. And some feet. Them dogs done tore that dog food up. Must have been like gravy on top. Right? This is crazy. So so then you jump into 10. And, and, and man, just, just read 10. I know we didn't, but just read 10. Like the anointed Avenger is taking care of business in 10, right? Like he comes on the scene and, and he's killing, uh, some of King Isaiah's relatives that were coming to visit. That's 12 through 14, right? So, so he's eliminating those dudes, don't cook care of them. Then he gets, here's what I love, verses 6 through 9 before then. I'm sorry. Verses 6 through 9. Look at what he says. Jehu wrote the second letter. <laughs> you know, you a bad dude. Right. He sends out this text. Right. And this text gets there. And here's what the text says, it says, if you will obey me, I want you to bring me the heads of your master's sons. At this time tomorrow. sugar sugarcoating. You see what he's saying? Like, I want the heads. I don't want the whole body. because That's just too much for you to tote. I want the heads of these dudes and I want it tomorrow. And then we're going to put it at the city gate. So that we can have that symbolism going on as well, right? So so all seventy of the king's sons were being cared for by the city's prominent men. Oh, they take care by good men, so they're safe. That's good. Right. Then the latter came, oops, and they took the king's sons and they slaughtered all seventy, putting their heads in baskets and sent them to Jehu. When the messenger came and told him, You brought the heads of the king's sons, the king said, Pile them in two heaps at the entrance of the city gate until morning. The next morning they went out and stood at the city gate. And he said to the people, you are innocent. It was I who conspired against my master and killed him. But who struck down all of these? What? what, what? The anointed avenger. Right? Like he ain't playing. He's taking care of business. Why? Because what, what were they promised and commanded to do for so long for years before? What? Kill all of them. What they keep doing. Leaving some. It got convenient so we don't kill them all. It got convenient so we don't fulfill the full message of the Lord. We just fulfill parts of the message of the Lord, right? And what happens? We got the most downward spiral ever by God's chosen people because they chose to keep leaving a little bit of trash in there and let a little bit of trash get in. and And it got worse and it got worse and it got worse and it got worse and it got worse. Right. Jehu says it ain't gonna be that way no more. Right. Jehu killed killed anyone who remotely related or associated with Ahab is what verses 10 and 11 says, right? His family in Samaria, that's verse 17, right? His final achievement, you want to talk about taking it to a whole other level. His final achievement, he rolls up to the Baal priest at the Baal temple and destroys all of them in 25 through 28. Dude is cleaning house. If there ain't nothing else you get out of this message, maybe it's time for us to clean house. And I don't mean this house, I mean your house. Right? Or maybe it is this house. I don't know. Right? For all this, here's what it says. For all this, he was rewarded by God with the longest dynasty in the history of Israel. That's, that's verse 30. But you got, you got to go back to 23. Right? You go back to 23, and here's what he says. He goes, I, I want to make sure, I want you guys to make sure. Isn't it awesome when God uses the enemy to get his stuff done? If you go back to 23, here's what's happened. Jehu's there. He's in the temple of Baal. And he says to the servants of Baal. Y'all caught that, right? He says to the servants of Baal, look carefully. See that there's no servants of the Lord here among you, only the servants of Baal. How dumb these guys are. He says, I got a sacrifice I'ma make to Baal, but we want to make sure there's none of God's people around. So you make sure they're all gone. So you can imagine like they was, they was, they knew who was real and who wasn't, right? So that's why he has them do it. God is using the enemy to clean up the house to get it done. It's just a beautiful picture, right? And then what does he do? Then he kills them all. He didn't lie. He made a sacrifice. All right, all of them <laughs> gone. Right? Then in verse 27, verse 27, here's what he says: And they tore down the pillars of Baal, and they tore down the temple of Baal, and they made it a uh, what, what? What is that? Y'all know what that is? Latrine. Yeah, it's a bathroom. Thank you. I want to make sure you get it. He tells you <laughs> he's like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. Yeah. He turned the house into a public toilet. You know what I'm saying? Like, how much more disgrace can you get? Like, this guy ain't playing. Calling out the calling out the, the prince's mama in her proster, uh, what do you call it? Idolatrous ways, whoring around our ways. Then he's taking the house of Baal and, and he's making it into a bat. Like, he is serious. We read all this and we're like, man, is he going like to the extreme? Shouldn't you and I start going to some extremes, maybe? Right? I mean, I mean, seriously, think about this thing, man. It's been beautiful, right? So, so they get to this moment, they're, they're stopping this, this idolatry that's been going on since 1 Kings chapter 12, by the way, when the golden calves got in. Now, here, here's where we get into a little bit of trouble. So 1 Kings 12, golden calves are introduced. They're worshiping the right God. You got to go back in your memory. They're worshiping the right God, but the wrong way. Right? Wrong place, wrong way, all that. All right. If you don't remember, it's online. Go back and listen to it. Right? Then they uh end up getting in chapter sixteen, they let Baal worship in. All right. Well when Baal worship gets in, then it just goes all over the loop. Right? So this guy comes in, Jehu comes in, and, and he's eliminating these guys. Right? So he eliminates Ahab and uh he continued who continued to practice of his of his daddy and all that stuff, right? He destroys the temple of Baal. He turns it into a public toilet. And you read verse twenty-eight. And I wish I'm gonna be honest, I wish twenty eight. Through 36 wasn't even in here. Cause I'm like, I'm like, man, I want, I want me a Jehu anointed Avenger, uh, doll. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I, I want that. I'm going to dress up for that for next year for something, right? 28. <laughs> Jay, <laughs> did you get a 38 year old <laughs> old dude trick or treat? No. <laughs> Jehu you eliminated Bell <Baal. laughs> worship from Israel. Oh, that's beautiful. 20 or uh, 30. 30, skip 29 for a minute, right? You get 28. Jehu eliminated Baal worship from Israel. It looks great. Verse 30. If you didn't have nevertheless, you'd never know there was a 29. Yahweh said to Jehu, Because you have done well in carrying out what is right in my sight, and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart. Four generations of your sons will sit on the throne of Israel. What? God is a rewarder of those who seek him, right? Do his ways. Right? So, so, so that's what's happening. But right in the middle, since there's a nevertheless, there's verse 29. Look at 29, 29. However, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam. What's it saying? It's saying that, yeah, he got rid of the, the Baal worship and those temples and the worship of the wrong God. But he still allowed worship of the right God the wrong way in those golden calves to be present. How often it is we come so far. So close and stop short. Right. So far, so close and stop short. We can't be content to be strong against evil and not be ambitious about good. You see what I'm saying? He was so he was so strong against evil, yet he lacked an ambition for what was good or what was best, I guess I should say. Right. He got it back to, to, to a better spot and he was passionate about that. And isn't it easier to be passionate about the disgraces of somebody else than to be passionate about the disgraces of your own sin? We don't know, but maybe, well, I guess we do kind of know because God tells him, like, you didn't have a heart that was sold out for me. He he relates him back to David. He says, you come so far, but yet you didn't, you didn't have all of me in your heart. And what he's telling him is this, like, like you, you had your own wrong practices going and because it interfered with the way you were doing it, you didn't want to, you didn't want to keep on going. It's easy to keep going when it's somebody else, right? It's hard to do it when it's us. It's hard to, to keep going instead of stopping short. It's hard to, to keep making progress when we feel like we're, we're almost complete. Verse 31. Yet Yehu was not careful to follow the instructions of Yahweh God of Israel with all his heart. He did not turn from the sins that Jeroboam has caused Israel to commit. God wants all our hearts, not some, not part. wants all our hearts and we can look at this guy as like a great israeli patriot not believe he was right and i I believe he was on fire about wanting to clean up Baal worship and he knew that israel had to come back to the true worship of god but my concern is that we get to the end and we read what happens and we, we see god's judgment even on jehu is this he wasn't concerned about how they did it and a lot of us sometimes we're willing to to push limits that maybe shouldn't be pushed to get to a, a an answer, but maybe we're willing to get to that answer by doing it the wrong way. You understand know what I'm saying? Like we use a catchy phrase, or or we do this little thing, or we fill churches because we we preach all good stuff and not blood and gore, like like we're looking at today, right? Like we're, we're willing to to bend just a little bit as long as we don't break. God doesn't call us to do that. That's, that's not what He's He's here. We, when we compare Ju, yeah, He's the best, but He's the best of a bad group. You know what I'm saying? It's like saying, well, I was the best student in B.I.R. today. Right. Yeah. 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 What's B.I.R.? Behavior Improvement Room. Right. I I spent some time there when I was in school. Right. Detention. After school program, whatever you want to call it. Right. Like like you was in trouble. I was the best kid in there, though. Right. I was always the best kid in B.I.R. I will say that. (laughs) But by not taking heed and walking in the word. In the law of the Lord, I think his biggest, his scariest thing was that he wasn't—he wasn't willing to have fellowship with God. And, and I guess, I guess maybe some of the biggest lesson we need to grab at end this is understanding this: it's possible to be an instrument in the hand of God and yet never be in fellowship with God. I say that because some of us we gauge just like our praise time we started with. Well, maybe this is all going to tie together today, because we gauge how good things are going by how much God must be pleased with what we're doing. And that's not always true, right? We need to understand this. it wasn't true for this guy. Verse 32. So so, so here, here, here's where it gets really sad. Verse 32 says, In those days the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel. God is a, a, parent, a parental genius. What did, he, what did he tell him? You're going to be blessed? You're going to have the longest dynasty ever? Four generations. He starts misbehaving. God says, well, no take back. So I can't take back my, my promise to you. So what does God do? I will shrink your blessing. You understand what's happening? Like the territory is getting smaller. So it's like, you had all this and you will have this for four generations. But then he starts misbehaving. So God says, yeah, you still got it, but it's getting smaller. You still got it, but you know, it's like if your kid got a a bag of M&Ms and like you just take some, you don't get all of them. You just get some of them, right? Like that's, that's what he's doing right here. Yeah, you had the energy. Jay, you had the energy. Uh, to influence and turn back a whole nation. But I think he's half committed to God left his potential unfulfilled. And I guess maybe that's some of like my greatest fear for us as God's people. Like, are we, are we not fulfilling our full potential? When we, I mean, look at how easily everybody got on board with him. God had set him up for awesome success. His own men instantly blow trumpets and take their shirts off and, and lay them down for him. And yes, you're going to be the king. We're ready. He gets on a horse. Everybody gets behind him. He rides a servant, gets behind him, another servant, gets behind him, kill king, kill king, eliminate people. Send out a text message. Hey, I expect 70 heads on my doorsteps tomorrow morning, 70 heads on doorsteps the next morning. Like he's getting stuff done. He's a leader. And yet he stops short. And I just wonder how much influence God's given us in the church as his children. And we stop short. This could have been the greatest turnaround ever for the whole nation. Yet, Jehu stopped short, right? Man, let me close this thing out with some thoughts. We might question like the nature and the judgment of God in this, you know, heads rolling, dogs eating Jezebel and flawed men exercising this. Here's the first thing I want us to grab a hold of when we read this and we have questions. (laughs) This is a quote from somebody else that I thought was so awesome. God has no sterilized instruments in the operating room. Think about that. Y'all know what a sterilized instrument is? Huh? That's a clean instrument, right? God ain't got no clean instruments because we are what? <laughs> We're not clean people. Right? Right? All his work is done through imperfect people. Because when I read this, I'm like, man, if Jehu was going to fail at the end, why did he let him do the beginning? Right? Because God can use flawed people. He used a wicked Judas, guys. I don't know if you got, I started watching, Um, we'll say what, Chosen. And like it, it puts some some neat little scenes in your head, and you you start thinking. So like the other night we were thinking, like which one's Judas? Like he's going to sit down at the table with him. He's going he's going to wash his feet. He's going to feed him. He's going to serve him, and he knows the wickedness he's going to do. Right? God uses wicked people. Secondly, kind of a difficult thing, I guess, for some of us that don't get as excited about this, like me and Cliff. Why does God make this judgment so unpleasant? Why couldn't these guys like die in their sleep and it'd be all over? And I have no idea. If you're looking for an answer, I ain't got it. All I can tell you is this is the way the word says it. This is the way it happened. I can also tell you, if you remember Jesus' death on the cross, wasn't very pretty either. It had a lot of blood and it had a lot of gore, right? And you might be into like some social causes and stuff like this, but until we get a desire for the things of God, we're going to stop short every time. Second Timothy chapter three, verse five. Paul writing to, to, an, to an early pastor, a young pastor, and tells them, some of them's going to have the appearance of godliness, but they're going to deny its power. I mean, they're going to look like they're doing the things of God, but then you're going to realize it was just for appearance. Right? And that's kind of maybe where, where, I don't, I don't know where Jehu ended up being, guys, to be honest. It doesn't, it doesn't really tell us, but I, I do know, like, he didn't end as good as he started. And he had such a start that would have been awesome. And I do know that scripture says it's more concerned about the way we finish the race than it is about the way we start the race. So there's some lessons there, man. Jehu's probably screaming, like, come see my zeal. And I think Jesus is shouting. Yeah, but I want to see your heart. You can purge a country, but can you purge yourself? It's easy to purge the church. It's easy to purge the community. Can you purge yourself, though? Can you call yourself out on things that we need to be doing right? Think about Paul. You ever ever, ever really thought about, like, the transformation takes place on Paul? I think he was kind of like a Jay been in a good way. He was so zealous for the things of religion. Scripture tells us he was a specialist in doing what? Killing Christians. You, he was a specialist in killing Christians. Yet when you and I write about him and we read about him and we study him to us next to Jesus Christ, he's the greatest character in the new Testament. Why? Cause he had a passion for religion. Or because he had a real life experience that developed a relationship with Yahweh. What do we know him for? I'm so grateful there's more written about his relationship fire than his religion fire. Religion fire just sets the tone, right? Then it says something. We always miss it. It says that then he went away. I think for three years. Am I right? Went away for three. We always skip that. We're like, oh, he's just a a drag. No, man. He had to get away for three years. When you've been living wrong. And you've been surrounded by the wrong stuff, you gotta to get to the inner room so that you can get the anointing that you're worthy of getting. So then when you come back out, you're able to do the things you're called to do. And Paul's the exact same way being transformed into a new creation so that he could then be on fire about a relationship with God rather than a religion of worship. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. God, we thank you for this morning and God, as rough as some of the stuff is in this, in these chapters, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you use it to To communicate to us, Lord God, a a drive that we should have. Lord, I pray that you take this morning as a time, Lord God, right now with your people. And Lord, if we've been stopping short. God, I pray right now that you make known. Where we're supposed to be going, what we're supposed to be still doing. God, if we've been doubting, Lord God, increase our trust in you, Lord God, to know that in the end. You're going to handle everything. Even if it's not on our time and our way and our understanding. Lord, if we're one of the ones that have been worshipping the true God but the wrong way. Lord, I pray that you make known, Lord God, what golden calves need to go. Lord, I pray more than ever, Lord, that your spirit fills in the gaps that I've left. So that your purpose is accomplished today and nothing else. In your name we pray. Amen.